Nazarene Theological Seminary. His name is Corey Miller. He's from Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is about 30 miles east of Nashville. Uh, Corey attended Trevecca Nazarene University, where he obtained a degree in religion with an emphasis in pastoral ministry and biblical languages. That is also where he met his wife, Anna. Um, Corey graduated in May of 2019, and he and Anna were married shortly thereafter on May 25th of 2019. Uh, just a few months after graduation, they packed up everything and moved to Kansas City in July so that he could continue his education and preparation for ministry at the Nazarene Theological Seminary. Shortly after that, in October, they got the wonderful surprise that they're pregnant and expecting their first child, sweet Lila Grace, this June. Please join me with a great round of applause to welcome our guest speaker this morning, Mr. Corey Miller. Brian. So uh, this morning, we will be in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Uh, it's always a pet peeve of mine when the preacher tells you what passage they'll be in and doesn't give you time to flip to it before they start reading. Um, but also, I want to testify a little bit uh, before I get into it. When I was your foe, Still your love fought for me. I heard that line and that song probably every Tuesday and Thursday at chapel at Trevecca, my last semester. But I tell you, it wasn't until this morning that I truly heard the truth in that. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. People in my tribe, the Nazarenes, would call that prevenient grace, which is actually a misquotation of John Wesley. John Wesley never said prevenient. He said preventing grace. Uh, Wesley believed that if it were not for God's love for us in sin, our own sin would kill us. So even when we are foes of God, God prevents us for our, from our own undoing because of his great love for us. That goes before we ever even knew that he loved us. Can anybody testify to that? That when you were still a foe to God, you found out that his love was fighting for you all along. I know I can. Matthew chapter four, verses 12 through 23. Starting verse 12. Having heard that John had been handed over, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelled at Capernaum, which is along the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, along the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness have seen a great light, and those in the countryside in a shadowy death a light has dawned on them. From then, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Now walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting nets into the sea, but they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left the nets and followed him. And having gone ahead from there, he saw others, two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Zebedee, their father, was in the boat with them and fixing the nets as he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in high school, I used to always keep a fishing pole in the bed of my truck, and I drove a 1995 bright red Ford F-150, best vehicle I've ever had. I miss it every single day. Um, it was a year older than I was when I got it, and if that makes you feel old, I'm sorry. Um, but I grew up in a city named Mount Juliet, and I realized the dialect of Southerners when somebody says Juliet the way it's supposed to be said, like Juliet, like Romeo and Juliet. Uh, but we called it Mount Juliet, and uh, even in sixth grade in middle school, we read Romeo and Juliet, and in class we would say Romeo and Juliet. But then someone asked us what school we went to, we'd say Mount Juliet Middle School. It doesn't make any sense. But I grew up in a city named Mount Juliet. And the city of Mount Juliet is located just north of Old Hickory Lake and just south of Percy Priest Lake, making the slogan of the city, the city between the lakes. It's riveting, right? But I got a taste for fishing in high school and would always stop by Long Hunter State Park on Percy Priest Lake, drop my hook in the water, and test my luck. Now you see, in my imagination, or in my head, I was a much better fisherman than I actually was. I think I only caught like two largemouth bass my entire career of fishing. But in my mind, I was a great fisherman, and I went all the time, and I was wonderful. And my dad, he took notice of my interest in fishing when I was in high school, and he, he said, let's go out on the lake. So we rented a small, flat-bottom lake uh, and went out on the lake. One afternoon, it was real, real hot, and we paddled out into the middle of this big clearing. Uh, trees on all sides, and there was a little opening uh, with a bridge uh, far, far in the distance, and it, 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 was a, it was a small flat-bottom boat with no motor. We had to paddle, and we were getting really, really hot uh, because the excellent fishermen that we were, we weren't catching anything, getting excited. Um, and the sun was beating down on that aluminum boat and heating up our thighs real good. Uh, so what we decided to do was we would row over to underneath the bridge. It was casting off a lot of shade, uh, and it had these big concrete pillars that went from, it was really an overpass, that went from the overpass down into the water. You know what I'm talking about, big concrete pillars. Now keep those pillars in mind, because they'll, they'll come into play in the story a little bit later. Um, but when we went over there, uh, we, seems like we finally got there. It took us like 30 minutes to paddle to the bridge. But when we finally got there, we stopped the boat, and I decided, for some reason, in this little flatbed boat that was about a foot and a half tall on the sides, or two feet on the sides, that I would stand up and cast. Some of you know where this is going. 
that I would stand up and cast. And my father was on the front of the boat, and I was in the back. I'm a little bit heavier than my dad. I still am a little bit taller than him as well. But as I stood up and casted my line, my body kind of went with me. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I started to fall out of the boat. Okay, the concrete pillars, right? So I grabbed hold of one of those big concrete pillars, and it stopped me. But then I was in a situation because I realized half of my body was outside of the boat holding onto the concrete pillar, and the other half of my body was inside of the boat trying not to fall into the water. Uh, And I stood like that for a while It seemed like too long that I was balanced between pillar and boat. And I look up, and my father is in the air. (laughs) And uh, he's still sitting on the boat, but I'm about to tip the boat. Uh, And we're going to have to explain to this gentleman that we rented the boat from that we sunk his boat to the bottom of Percy Priest Lake. So I had a choice to make in my mind. (laughs) My wife doesn't even know this story. I, I tried to wipe it out of my memory. But I had a choice to make in my mind whether I would try to push off of the concrete pillar and land into the boat, risking toppling the entire boat uh, because I'm a lot bigger than my father is, or to just suck it up, take one for the team, and uh, fall into the water. Uh, So I fell into the water. Um, And that's the day I quit fishing. I haven't fished ever since then. It was so embarrassing. I still to this day don't know how I climbed back in the boat. It seemed like one swift motion that I got back in the boat without sinking the boat. I had my phone in my pocket. That got messed up, you know, all these problems. But I thought about this story as I was preparing for this sermon, talking about taking yourself too seriously. I took myself far too seriously as a fisherman than I probably should have taking ourselves too seriously. I thought about this story, especially as I was reading the story of the brothers James and John in the boat with their father Zebedee. And I thought about how seriously we tend to, t- we tend to take the disciples of Jesus Christ. With good reason, we take them very seriously. Uh, chances are that's not the first time you've heard this biblical story. Uh, and the chances are the times you've heard this story, the faithfulness of the disciples themselves has been emphasized. Uh, and of course, these disciples were very faithful indeed in their own right. You see, fishing, they weren't just fishing with their father on an afternoon like I was. Uh, fishing was a way of life uh, where they were. And this scene were brought into the boat of Zebedee um, and Zebedee's family. Now, leaving their father, that is James and John, leaving their father was a huge deal because in these times, people didn't just grow up and leave their mother and father's house and get an accounting job somewhere. If you were born into a lower socioeconomic class like a fisherman, you were going to be a fisherman your whole life. Furthermore, if you were James and John in the boat with your aging father, you would know that your father was continually and continually relying on you to help provide for the family. And chances are, James and John's family as well probably lived on the same house or compound as Zebedee. So, when James and John immediately get up, leave the nets and follow Jesus upon his call, This is a huge thing to do. They're not only putting their social standing in jeopardy to follow Jesus, 
but they're putting the very survival of their own families on the line to follow this strange Jesus character who's calling to them from the shore. My goal is not to diminish the faithfulness of the disciples. These were faithful people to follow Jesus. However, I think that we as human beings tend to overemphasize our own importance and the importance of humans in the role of the story of God. In other words, we have a tendency to take ourselves way too seriously. When it comes down to it, this biblical story that we're reading is more of a story about what Jesus is doing than it is about what the disciples are doing. Now, other than the last six months, I've spent my whole life in the Nashville area, and I don't know too much about Kansas City, where we just moved, and I don't know too much about Harrisonville, Missouri, but what I do know is what I have most in common with each and every one of you. I assume and I, I felt that you are a church that proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Amen. You see, the church, not just Harrisonville Community Church, or the church of the Nazarene where I'm from, or a Baptist church or anything, but the church, the whole church, the whole church that proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Savior, does something in common with one another every year. Every year we tell the same story. We tell the story that Jesus was born as God in flesh and as a baby in a manger and that Jesus lived and he died. Well, he, he was killed on a cross and he resurrected and he went up into heaven and left us the Holy Spirit to abide with us in God's real presence with us. Now we tell this story in rhythm every year and in seasons every year. And right now we're in a season as the church of what we call epiphany. We're in the season of epiphany in the church. And really that's just a special word that means right between Christmas and Easter. Right? But really this is a time where we celebrate how Jesus made himself known to us as God in the flesh in his ministry. In other words, we come to an epiphany of who Jesus is, thus the name of the season, Epiphany. And I think the Gospel of Matthew is such a beautiful book in telling us who Jesus is. See, first, Matthew starts off with this great long genealogy uh, in Matthew 1, which, which shows us that Jesus is a descendant of King David, making him the rightful heir of the new kingdom that he's setting up on earth. In the mind of the people hearing this, um, to begin with, the the King David was the, was the best king in the history of Israel. Um, his kingdom was the golden days of Israel when no Rome ruled over them. They were independent people, right? Israel was an independent nation, and they didn't have to answer to anybody, didn't have to give money to, to any entity over them like Rome. But it, by the time Jesus comes around, Rome owns Israel. So the calling card upon everybody was, who is going to save us from Rome? Who is going to save us from the oppression of Rome and allow us to be an independent state again? And Matthew draws the line of Jesus all the way back to King David. And he says, and he makes a bold statement just in a genealogy, that Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. 
But Jesus' kingdom is a little bit different than what you expect it to be. Might be one of the reasons why he was killed. But Jesus comes around preaching that the kingdom of heaven, where God resides, the kingdom of heaven has come with Jesus' coming. The kingdom of heaven has come near with the coming of Jesus. Again, I don't know too much about this church, but I do know that this is a time of a little bit of transition for this congregation, right? And there, there's a great hope. I, I feel it. I feel, I feel the Spirit of God alive and well in Harrisonville, Missouri today. But I feel that there's a great hope that God can do something new in this congregation, right? But y'all, take heart and relax knowing that the kingdom of heaven does not come because of our hands. The kingdom of heaven comes because Jesus came. The simple message, the scandalous message that Jesus has for us this morning is that Jesus alone has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. Then what are we to do about it as the church, right? What do we do with this simple message? What's required of us? Again, it's so simple that it's, that it's scandalous. We drop everything that we have and we follow Jesus. See, the fruitfulness of this church or any church will never come from the sweat of our own brow. The fruitfulness will come because Jesus has announced to all of us, even Harrisonville community, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus first calls us. We have to answer that call, but it's important to remember as a church in transition or a church in general today in this season of epiphany that it was Jesus who fought for us before we even knew that Jesus was Lord. When we were his foe, still his love fought for us. Jesus is Lord, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. Jesus calls first. And when Jesus calls, he calls us to a strange, upside-down kingdom of heaven that has come near to us in him. When I was a senior in high school, I felt the call of Jesus in my own life. I wasn't in the Church of the Nazarene at the time. Um, I was in a non-denominational church, which in the South, that means a Southern Baptist church. Right? <laughs> I was in a non-denominational church, and... <laughs> I felt that there was something bugging in my ear, the call of Jesus, something bugging in my ear. And I felt the call and, and the strangest thing in the world to go back to the old Nazarene church that I grew up in. I spent my first 13 years of life, was dedicated as a baby in that church, to go back to that church. And they really had nothing for me. I walked in the church, I was the youngest one, and... There was no youth in the entire congregation, congregation about probably 40 or 50 at the time, a struggling congregation, but it was a new pastor, and he was very excited about what was happening, and uh, the next day I get a phone call after the first Sunday I went back there from that pastor, Pastor Russ, and I still don't know how he got my number, but I got a phone call from Pastor Russ. He said, let's go to Chick-fil-A. I said, I'm in. Um, I'm in. So we sat down at Chick-fil-A. Uh, in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, and he laid it all out in front of me. 
And he said, this is the situation of our church. We got no youth and we need some. Would you like to start a youth group here? Um, and I prayed about it and I felt the Lord really directing me that way. Uh, so when I was a senior in high school, I helped start a youth group from, from nothing. Um, and th there was a problem though, because I was about to go to college. And I knew, I knew one thing, I did not want to go to Trevecca Nazarene University. <laughs> I said, Lord, don't make me go there. Um, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for it. It's really, really expensive. And I wanna get away for college. Uh, so what happened when I followed Jesus was I got to stay home for college and uh, I got to go to Trevecca Nazarene University. Um, and, and I stayed there and uh, lo and behold, Lord knew what he was doing. Um, I met my wife there. Um, I was able to stay in, stay in service in that church the entire time I was at Trevecca, uh, which I think saved me from a lot of cynicalism um, in academics. Um, but if it weren't for going back to that old church I grew up in, I would have never heard of a thing called Nazarene Theological Seminary. Uh, probably wouldn't be married to Anna. Probably wouldn't have a little girl in the way. Uh, I, I wouldn't be in Kansas City, that's for sure. Um, I wouldn't be in Harrisonville, Missouri this morning in front of you. Uh, it's a very strange thing when the Lord calls. And the Lord's going to call you to something probably that you don't expect. But as the church this morning, what are we to do in a time of epiphany? What is God calling this church to this morning? I felt the spirit of God this morning in this congregation. And I ask you, you know this community and this church better than I do. What are the things that God is calling you to do this morning? But, but know when you go and do those things, when you go and, and follow Jesus, you are following Jesus. What you do with your hands, though it is important and though it is necessary, and though God calls you to reap the harvest, the Lord has already provided a path for you. Let the weight come off of your shoulders as you follow Jesus as the church this morning.